Welcome to How to Save a Planet. I'm Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson. And I'm Alex Bloomberg, and this is the show where we talk about what we need to do to address the climate crisis and how we're going to make those things happen. So, you know what I was thinking? No, I don't. You're making me nervous. <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> I can tell. You sounded nervous. <laughs> Trepidatious. Not, I mean, I was going to say you should. there's nothing to be nervous about, but maybe there is. Anyway, uh-huh. so here's what I've been thinking. What if you and I had nicknames for each other? Oh, Lord. Um, what did you have in mind? Well, I was thinking that I could call you Doc. Uh-huh. That's, that's <laughs> not as bad as I thought it would be. Okay. Do people ever call you Doc? Yeah. They do? But like, ironically, in the same way that people call me Harvard when I do something dumb. They're like, ah, nice job, Harvard. (laughs) I always like the nickname Doc, and it's a nickname that I'll never be able to possess for myself. Um, It's not too late. No. Okay. Um, Did you have a nickname in mind that you wanted me to call you? (laughs) No, I was thinking, um, like, you know... um, Maybe like big big dog. Oh my god, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. There is a zero percent chance I will ever ever call you that. <laughs> is there is there like a second choice you have? Uh Bowser. Bowser? You would like a dog themed <laughs> nickname? Goose. Wow. Snitch. Uh, fancy? Fancy. That's that's the best one yet. <laughs> Doc and fancy. <laughs> <laughs> kind of has a good ring to it. I like it. fancy. <laughs> I don't know if it's accurate, it's but it's, um, I mean, I see what you wear on Zoom every day. What up, t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, noodle out. See what, see, what see what feels right. So, Doc, <laughs> oh, what's Lord. on the agenda today? <laughs> um... This is an awesome transition. Thank you, Alex. You know, just all of the horrors that have happened in 2020. That's right. 2020 is soon coming to an end. It's been a big year. It has been a huge year. The pandemic, the election. Record-breaking extreme weather, wildfires, hurricanes, and heat waves, and floods, and... Fire tornadoes are now a thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the Black Lives Matter uprising. Yes. Huge part of this year. Yeah. And, you know, we're officially on vacation this week. Mm-hmm. We're taking uh, the two weeks off between Christmas and New Year. And as part of that, we're bringing you Gimlet episodes that we think that you will like. And this week, we're really excited to introduce this episode of a new Gimlet podcast called Resistance. Yeah. Resistance is a show about the movement for Black lives. It's a show about refusing to accept things as they are. It's something that I'm really like proud of that we put together at Gimlet. It's hosted by Saeed Tijan Thomas Jr. He's such a great host. He's he's great. He's worked with us at Gimlet for a couple of years, and he and Sarah McBee, uh, producer at, at Gimlet, they, they were talking about um, how to respond to this moment, you know, mm-hmm. with Black Lives Matter, and they came up with the idea for this show, and we put it together, and they launched it. And I just think it's just really been really good. They've been really killing it. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to bring you one of the episodes. I love this episode in particular because in a moment where everything just feels really big, you know, climate and public health and politics, this 
is an episode, it's a story about where the rubber meets the road, right? Like, what does it look like to make change in your own community? What can an individual do? Yeah, it's a story about a Black man who lives in the rural Midwest and what happened when he tried to bring the movement for Black lives to his almost entirely white town this summer. And while the story deals with heavy themes, it's not actually a total downer. (laughs) Not at all. It's just an incredible story. So today, we're passing the mic to Saeed, coming up after the break. Hey, just a warning before we get started. This episode of Resistance deals with some heavy themes and has some strong language in it. The town of Harvard, Nebraska has a population of about a thousand people. They got one bank, one bar, one school, and one black man. As far as the only black man and only family of color in Harvard, I'm, I'm it, man. You're looking at him right now, man. Wow. This is, this is the house <laughs> of the one black family in Harvard, Nebraska. <laughs> His name is Jermaine Ginyard, but everybody just calls him Coach G. And he always gets the same question. How did you end up here? Like I tell my family, man, it, it, there's no way in the world a man like myself from San Diego, California is going to say, I'm going to go to Harvard, Nebraska to start my family. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think Harvard found me. I didn't really like go looking for it, but you know, there's, I guess that's why we're going to get into our story. From Gimlet, I'm Saeed T. John Thomas Jr., This is Resistance. In this episode, the only Black man in Harvard, Nebraska, puts on the first Black Lives Matter protest the town has ever seen. Jermaine landed in Nebraska in the early 2000s. And at first, he was in Hastings, Nebraska, on a football scholarship. But then he graduated and moved to Harvard, which is just a few miles away. It was cold, it was small, and it was white as hell. It was nothing like where Jermaine had grown up, San Diego, California. But he stuck it out in Harvard. He was in his early 20s, and he's very quick to tell me that at that stage of his life, he was very much a rah-rah, hot-headed football player type of guy. But then he met his wife. Her name was Rosa. In our text messages, he spells out her name in all caps like he's framing it. Rosa. He loved how calm she could be under pressure. Like when white people in town tried him, when he was ready to fight, Rosa kept it real with him. She told him, Jermaine, you know you don't have enough fists to fight the whole town. And Rosa liked how honest and caring Jermaine was, almost to a fault. He was the kind of guy who would put 67 cents worth of gas in his truck just so he could have some change left over so he could share a meal with you. One day, they were talking about their plans for the future. Jermaine asked, do you want to settle down at some point? She said, yes. Do you want to settle down with me? She said, yes. So they settled down together in Harvard. San Diego to Nebraska, it was a huge shock in itself. Mm-hmm. Coming from a metro of a million people to Harvard, where you only have a thousand people, even today I still have to like 
grip it and, and take it in and really like understand what's going on. But I had to adapt, man. I really had to adapt. I think with me, the biggest thing being a very confident black man, mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of people didn't really know how to respond to me. Hmm. Um, I think at times Nebraska is kind of used to a particular type of way they want people of color to be. What did you think they expected? Like, what did, what did they expect from people of color? What did they expect from you? Oh, man, I really think they... they, they, they honestly, Saheed, I, I have to be honest with you. I think a lot of people in Nebraska still see Blacks as slaves. And, and mm-hmm. I, I don't mean to say that in a rude or disrespectful way, but they see us as a, as a, a commodity, as something that... Um, definitely not as equal, mm-hmm. but as something is like... Um, I don't want to say say animal or cattle, but mm-hmm. I just think they don't look at us as equal. I really think they expected me just to be a humble, mm. do as you say, mm-hmm. black man. And I think that perception of what they feel a black man is, is kind of, I didn't fit that mold, man. And so yeah. Uh, yeah. I just didn't fit it. Dreadlocks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah, a San Diego. Yeah. I just didn't fit it. And so um, it was growing on both ends, man. It was growing right. on both ends. At that point in your life, can you remember any moments like in those early days where, you know, communication broke down with somebody or there was a situation where the way you were ran up against the way they expected you to be? Oh, man, I remember coming to Harvard and walking my dog. It was nigger, get off my grass. Oh, yeah? Uh, Oh, man, you have no idea, man. This is when I'm walking with my daughter, too. Nigger, get off my grass. I've had, oh, man, I've had... Listen to this. I had those ladies that, that go in the courthouse, do your taxes and stuff like that. If you're paying for your car and stuff like that. But yeah. she told me straight up, hey, listen, man, we don't want a lot of your kind out here. So if you can try to keep this a secret out here because we don't need too many people out here like yourself moving oh. out here and kind of messing up. Like, oh, man, I've I've gotten something to subtle and straight subtle racism, smiling your face racism. Um, it's, it's, it, it was big when I first got out here, man. Wow. So, and and you stayed. And I stayed. And that's, and you see, I think today, I think today why Jermaine is respected so much is because I weathered the storm, man. Yeah. I'm also thinking about like, I feel like, you know, you coming of age in this place where people are both blatantly and subtly racist to you, and then you start having a family there, you start building a family. Like, I'm wondering, like, you start having kids, like, well, I don't know. I, I would think maybe the first thing you would think about is, all right, how am I going to get my kids the fuck out of here? You know? Yeah. Like, you how, know what? Like, why don't we just leave? You know, in all honesty, that was that was that was kind of my angle. But with my wife being here and her mom and her sister, it kind of got me to stay here. Kept stick them. You know, Saeed, um Yeah. One thing that really helped me out being here was that the fact that I coached. I coached a lot of these white kids around here. So a lot Mm. of people got to see me out of context as far as like not just seeing a black man with dreads. They got to see kind of a little bit of my innocence. They got to see me without my my defenses with their children coaching them. And once that kind of took place, everything started to change a little bit for me. The grand uh, parents would call me nigger. Get off my grass, nigger. But their grandbabies, I'm coaching them. So they got to see me in a light light. I just told this nigger to get off my grass. And my grandbaby loved this dude, man. He liked talk about Mr. G all day. So it was one of those situations that happened, Saeed. It was a really, 
with love and patience, I'm probably still a nigger to them. I don't know what I, but I was able to slip through a seed of love to just get them to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me look at this from a different lens. And I think that's really what happened, man. Wow. Okay. Uh, Did you ever talk to your children about all this stuff? Every day. They know about it. Oh, man. Um. Um, I don't need to talk about it. it, it they, they have it directly in their face. My daughter was called a nigger bitch, was written on the bathroom wall. My children have experienced it. I've had uh, one of the kids on my kids' baseball team spit in his face and call him a nigger. Huh. Um, it's come to them at a young age, man. So um, that's one thing about small towns. Like in San Diego, I didn't even know what racism really was until I got to Nebraska. And so like... Mm. Um, they, you don't have to really worry about that in small towns, especially at whatever age. It's gonna come to you, man. Like, how do you, how do you remain black in that, in that place in Harvard, Nebraska? Like, how do you like maintain your blackness? Like, I'm gonna be honest. I feel with like you. I feel like so much of my blackness is like about participating in shit with other black people. You know what I'm saying? Like the way I talk to other black people or the way we dap each other up or all that kind all these little idiosyncrasies that make up what it means to be black. And like, if I'm by myself and I'm just surrounded by a bunch of white people, I'll probably lose that. Like, how do you remain, how do you, how do you maintain your blackness? Man, Saeed, I'm going to tell you, because I'm in all white, leave it to Beaver, I got to almost like, um, it almost perpetuates my blackness, man. I almost gotta, <laughs> I almost <laughs> gotta be a symbol, man, for like all black men and black people. So, and so once I said when I came from San Diego, I didn't know what racism was until I got to Nebraska. And so once that came out, and I felt it, and I tasted it, and it hit me, it made me say, "He go, oh, y'all gonna really, oh, okay, y'all gonna see a black man for real." I'm gonna <laughs> show you. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, there's no black people here where I could be like, for example, the way we talk. What up? You know what I'm trying to say. What up, what yeah. up, how we talk and how we do our thing. But mm-hmm. um, so I can't really do that with my with people, obviously being the only black dude here. But as far as letting people see, like, one of the reasons why I kept my dreadlocks, um, mm-hmm. everything I could do to wear my Rastafarian shirts, not in a disrespectful way, but just to show my blackness, I'm doing it, man. And, and like I said, man, people really know where I stand when it comes to you're not gonna you're not gonna bring that foolishness or disrespectful stuff my way like that. So mm-hmm. Oh man, I will. I'll tell you, Saeed, Just being around white folks every day makes me realize um, how much I have to really keep that that symbol established, man. It really is, man. So, so you don't go in the other direction. You don't like run away from it. You like embrace it even more because man, I ran to it one. even more. And I think that's right. why people could put a finger on me in Harvard because they like, oh, that dude. He he a black dude. He he a black man. But I'm able to show them blackness in a love and beautiful way instead of the way that they always perceive that we got to be on going to jail or we got to be thugging or, or selling dope. I'm able to show them like, He's very black. He loves being black. He's a black man. He's going to speak up and he loves his family. <laughs> he loves his black family, his black babies. And all y'all going to put on, be put on notice about that. And with that, I think, um, believe it or not, ironically, I get a lot more respect, man, that way. So, yeah, that's you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. You say white people, they don't want uh, watered down soul food <laughs> when they go eat ribs and bar they want they want to eat you feel me so yeah, yeah. i try not to give them a watered down version <laughs> a perception of black man man I, i'm gonna give them straight soul food man so oh man <laughs> fucking hilarious <laughs> oh man that's that's funny uh, 
it makes me think about there's this like clip from this movie uh that's like uh this dude he's dressed in like he has like a colorful african print shirt on he has a little hat and it's like all oh, it's like a 90s throwback joint and like it's like a little music video and he's like He's basically like, I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black and I'm black and I'm black. And that's, y'all. That's, that's CB4. That's CB4, yeah. the movie with Chris Rock. Yes, and, uh, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, that's you. That's yeah, you. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for real. That's that. Yeah. For real, for real, for real, for real. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good that's, movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's a real movie. And I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm black, y'all, and I'm blacker than black, and I'm black, y'all. I'm black, black, When we come back, Jermaine finally tells the town how he feels. But in a place like Harvard, will anyone listen? What's good, y'all? Welcome back. Jermaine Ginyard has been in Harvard, Nebraska for 14 years now, and he's put down some roots. One kid turned into two, turned into six. And houses are cheap in Harvard. Jermaine was able to become the first person in his family to own property. One house turned into two, turned into six. He even bought the old boarded-up church where all the white folks in town were baptized when they were kids. He told me they didn't like that very much. At first, it was hard for me to understand why he didn't just leave Harvard. But talking to him, I realized that for all the shit he's gone through in Harvard, it's where he fell in love. It's where he became a father, and it's where he became a man. Jermaine's refusal to leave was his way of resisting. Staying in Harvard was the biggest political statement he could have made. But a few months ago, when Jermaine heard about the police killing of George Floyd, he knew just being a symbol wouldn't be enough anymore. He had to say something. Can you tell me how you heard about? Yeah, how you how you heard about George Floyd's death? Oh man, how I heard about it, man! It was, uh, man, I was getting so numb to us getting killed by the police, man. That was just seems like it was like once every other month, man. And once I seen that George Floyd, man, and I really only watched it once. That's all it took for me and. Oh, man, he didn't have to really hear about it. It was everywhere on the news, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to be honest. I still haven't watched that video, um, but I know what's there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And just knowing what's there, when I heard about it, there was like a very heavy, like I, my, the way I was feeling was just like heaviness. I Like I couldn't, it felt like I just couldn't move. Like I sat on my couch for like, days just doing nothing Saeed in all honesty I I was so like you I was so sick in my stomach and heavy that I had to I had to wake up and get that off my chest and that's what the protest was because being a black man you don't you can't really talk to somebody that's not black that understands like I can't talk to my wife to be like although she's Mexican and a woman of color she has no idea what it means to be a black man and and then not not having a Saeed here where I can really jib it up with him like dude you know so my way of just being able to express that without having people here that understand what a black man is, is to be able to have that protest and speak out and let it be known, you know? So it's therapy for me. T, 
Tell me about the moment you decided to organize the protest. Oh, yes. That night, that night, y'all, I don't know necessarily. I think it was on a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. But the night before, I was just thinking, what needs to be done, man? I, I, I was figuring out, I was thinking, pacing back and forth. And my wife said, you should do a protest. And I didn't even really take heed to what she was saying, man. I didn't even hear it. Like, really wasn't hearing her. And then I went to bed and woke up the next morning and I said, I should do a protest. And she was like, I kind of, I kind of told you that last night. (laughs) And so it went down, it went down just like that, man. That night when your wife was talking to you, up until that point, had you seen that there were protests happening all over the world? Wasn't even on that, man. I wasn't even paying attention, man. I didn't even know how to even form a protest. I didn't know how to organize one. I didn't even know what that necessarily meant. The only protest I ever really knew about was Martin Luther King watching them and, and doing the marches that they did. I've never experienced, never talked, never even knew. Um, as far as in Harvard, even Nebraska in general, I think outside of Omaha, um, mm-hmm. very foreign, man. You don't do things like that. And so um, I just felt like this needed to be addressed in our town, man. And I didn't know what to expect, Saeed. I, I just... I was hurt, man. And it was a way for me to just therapy, man. I was hurt. I woke up at nine o'clock. I texted some individuals. I texted four individuals, former students, my former athletes, and they went out there and put the put the grassroots together, man. And of those four people that you reached out to, who did you call first? David Rizzola. He is an 18-year-old, just graduated senior. As much as I want to say, I'm old enough to be his father, but I try not to take that away from his dad and that type. So I almost look at him like a big brother, man. And I remember texting him and I said, David, I want to put a protest together. I want to get behind George Floyd's death. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I said, you are going to be, you got to call and text people because your platform on social media, that's kind of what we use, his platform. And it just took off, man. How quickly did it come together? I will, and listen, I called him at 11, and by 7 p.m., I would say eight hours, man. It's funny, though, because it started at 7. We got there about 6.40, and it was only me and David on the steps. <laughs> he was like, hey, coach, if it's just me and you, we got to roll with it. I said, David, if it's just me and you, we got to roll with it. So about 6.40 roll, 6.45, about three people trinkling, 6.50, about five more. Let's roll with it, David. And then about by 6.58, just... Just everybody started rolling in. So it was kind of neat, man, the way it all happened. And then it's funny is it would have been more, but you had some people in the back with their phones taking pictures just to be like, uh, what's going to happen or something happened or, you know, didn't really want to be involved, but just wanted to, you know, you know how that is. Right. See how everything's going just (laughs) for the just in case. Right, right. Harvard's not ever had a protest ever. You know, we coming from a town where the KKK was kind of um, flourished, man. You know, we have a history of KKK in our town. So I think with that history, you know, you're still living with them perceptions and biases. And so I think a lot of people were just, uh, they're not used to having a protest like that. They never had a black dude speak up and speak out like this before. And so it, it, it was all new to them as well, man. It was all new to them, so... I don't think they I don't think they knew what to expect either, to be honest with you. So you, you spoke, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. What did you, what did you say? Um, the well, first thing I said is there's to be no violence here, man. And so if you came with this mindset of thinking you're going to play, plus it ain't nothing here to, 
So, so right, what you gonna get? <laughs> what, what you gonna take? This ain't nothing in the bag of chips. Uh, some juice from the store. Right, right. So as far as you writing, you just <laughs> you, I let you tear your own stuff up for, but nothing ain't nothing here to take. But uh, uh, that's one of the first things I said, and then I went into uh, why we were here today. We may be small town Nebraska. We may be a small town. You go, there's no police brutality here, and you're right. We don't have to deal with that. But what can we do in our part to bring justice and stuff to, to America? Because we're all Americans. Went on to um, like the love I have for the town, but then I was able for me to address Nebraska, the subtle we don't like to speak about injustices and the blatant racism that goes on. So when I stay here today, I tell you I love you because I mean you with my soul. And I'll fight for all of y'all. And all of y'all know that. If you gay, if you a female, if you Latino, if you black, this is injustice for you. If you couldn't speak out because you couldn't be beautiful, this is for you. Don't let nobody take that from y'all. Don't let anybody take that from y'all. So don't look at it like, oh, poor whatever. Stand strong and be strong for heart. Because this is our community. So pe- all these people show up. Was there anybody who showed up that was surprising to you? That you were like, oh, I did not expect to see you here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Saeed, I don't know how you're going to do this or how you're going to edit this, but uh, <laughs> uh, how can I say this? I uh, was working at Harvard Public Schools. And once again, there was a story behind my daughter being called a nigger bitch on the wall. And so to make a long story very short, I confronted my superintendent. Things didn't really get done. Confronted him again as a father, things still really didn't get done. The administration there just just really kind of dropped the ball. It really hurt. So with that being said, those administrators showed up to the rally. I was like, wow, man, that's oh, kind of ironic. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I thought that was very ironic for them to show up to a equality Black Lives Matter event when you didn't take care of my daughter who's black when she was in your school being called a nigger or bitch or whatever it was. Did you talk to him? Matter of fact, one of the, this is, now here we go, how ironic. One of the uh, rules David gave when we were to get up from laying down for nine minutes like George Floyd was, he said to grab a partner, make sure your partner's laying down. I want you to go help your partner up, you know, like help your, help a friend up. Nobody helped the administrators up. They were like, nah, we don't want to go help them. (laughs) Well, guess who, well, guess who had to go help them to show them that, man, listen, Jermaine did, Coach G, so. Yeah, those administrators who nobody went to go help up, man. I went to go actually help them up. So that was a little weird. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, man. It it, it feels like you have to do that all the time in one way or another. It feels like you're always helping people up who aren't helping you. Yes, Saeed. That's, yeah. And that's where being around Black people, such as yourself and just my people, kind of come in. It's hard not being able to talk to people that I come from. I've adapted, man. I've learned to just mature and speak and communicate in ways that um, I'm able to reach people and touch their souls, man, and plant seeds. But it is tough, man, at times because I always have to maintain a symbol of blackness. Every day I walk out of the house, especially in this town of a thousand people, predominantly white. 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes, man, you just want to be, you, you just want to just say, what up, Saheed? You good, man? What's good, dog? What you about to get? Let's go ball. Let's yeah, go shoot yeah, some hoop. Yeah. You just want to, <laughs> you want to be able to kind of just, and, 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 and unfortunately for me, I have to be this 95 to 98% of the time, all the time. And anytime I let my defenses down, it has to be in my house within my family. So that could be a bit um, tolesome at times. Do you think people listened? Saeed, they trying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. It's, they try. Some yeah, are trying. Try. Like that's like the, they that's try like the it, best man. you can offer is like they try. Like they try it, man. Listen, I I'll tell you this, man. It's a little bit more positivity my way. Like when I walk my dog in a very weird way, some people who never spoke to me or said hi or what's up are now being able to like um kind of put down their borders and the Harvard Community Club has invited me to be a member, which I never was ever invited <laughs> in my own community to be a member of a club. So I, I I got that invitation. Um, the firehouse asked me if I wanted to be a volunteer firefighter. You know, things that most, most men or people in the community would probably get, get when they move in or be asked. I was finally asked these things, you know, it took me, it took me to speak up and have this protest for people to be able to look at me and go, Oh man, let's try to get him involved with the community now. And so, um, instead of being on the outside looking in, they kind of welcoming me on the inside now. And so, um, um, did it help as much as I, you know, um, yeah, Sahi, even if it's like a very inch step, they're not going to take a full step, you know that, but yeah, yeah, if they could take a little inch drag, and if that's what I had to do all that for, for them to be able to t- just take a half a miller inch step, as much as I don't want to say I can't stand that, was it positive or progress? Yes, I hate it. It, it. it it helped a little. It did. Yo, man, thank you so much. This conversation was so good, bro. Um, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like you. I, I feel like you going. Like a part of me is like worried for you, being the only black man there, <laughs> worried for your family. But like also, this whole conversation gave me like I feel like you. You just show like you got it, essentially. Like you, you got it. Like you holding it down. As long so, as, and I tell people in Nebraska, as long as you know where I'm at, and you know I'm in Harvard, I'm the only black dude here. I'll, I'm kind of good. As long as if right. something happened to me, you are gonna be like, hold up, hold up. Where's Jermaine? <laughs> right. We know where Jermaine at. So that ain't uh uh-uh, uh. Nope, nope, nope. He's, right. Like he if should you be missing, missing like that. Yeah. Everyone would know. <laughs> Everybody go know. Hold up, where's Jermaine? <laughs> it ain't about, it ain't a hundred of them, it's one. Some ain't right, right. where he at? <laughs> when I'm weary and so worn out Thanks for listening. Resistance is produced by Bethel Hobte, Wallace Mack, Ann Randall, and Kimmy Regler. Our production assistant is Sandra Riano. Our supervising producer is Sarah McVie. We're edited by Lynn Levy, Lydia Paul Green, and Brendan Klinkenberg. Mixing and scoring by Bobby Lord and Katherine Anderson. Theme by Bobby Lord. 
Original score by Drea, the vibe dealer. Make sure you smile when you say her name. Fact-checking is by Michelle Harris. And our show art is by Darian Burks of the Stuyvesants. Good looks, homie. Credits music is Cut Me by Moses Sumney. Oh, and again, did you know that you can vote before November 3rd in most states? If you want to find out how, go to playyourpart.ballotready.org. Please do that. And if you like this episode, tell a friend about it. You can find me on Twitter at SaeedTTJ. That's S-A-I-D-U-T-T-J. And you can follow us on IG at Resistance Show. Resistance is a Spotify original podcast and Gimlet production. See y'all soon. Uh, what gets me, gets me, gets me, get me, get me, get me. All right. So that was Resistance. We really hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah. Lots more episodes that they've already released that you can head over and check out. Yeah. Find it on Spotify. Just search for Resistance and uh, hit follow. And as we were listening to that, it reminds me actually of an episode that we did that also weaves in some of these concepts about how do you talk about these big, challenging issues with people in your family, with people in your community. And we released around Thanksgiving an episode called Trying to Talk to Your Family About Climate Change. Here's how. Right. And I just thought it was worth mentioning, Alex, because we're in the holiday season. So oh, that's a good idea. If right. people are Zooming and FaceTiming and safely gathering, it might come in handy. So yeah. maybe go back in the roster and check that one out. Yeah, so go out and check out that episode, Trying to Talk to Your Family About Climate Change. Here's how. All right, and we'll be back with a batch of fresh episodes on everything from regenerative farming to climate-friendly diets to, yes, carbon capture. That is all coming in the new year. It's going to be so much better than 2020. (laughs) Batch just makes me think of cookies, like holiday cookies. Focus, Doc. Episodes, cookies. (laughs) I mean... They're both treats. Am I <laughs> they right? Are. It's a it's an appropriate word, a batch of episodes <laughs> for you. It's fresh out of the oven. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. <laughs>